hello out there in yearbook listener land. Yeah, I know that's a really cheesy term. Welcome or welcome back to the Yearbooking Report podcast as we talk about uh, improving yearbook efforts anywhere on the planet, really. Uh, for those, if this is your first go around, my name is Scott Geezy. I'm a 21 year representative for Jostens Yearbooks. Before that, I spent 17 years as a journalist and a broadcaster. And uh, if you kind of find the common denominator among all that, it's storytelling, which I tell folks all the time. That's our primary job with a yearbook and in other ways. Not what stories will we tell, yes, but also how many stories can we tell. And so hopefully between uh, all the different topics that we cover on this series, you get some great feedback and some great ideas and inspiration. And I think we're going to go down that road with this particular episode. As we talk with one of our Jostens cams. Now, what's a cam? If you know automotives, no, not that kind of a cam. In this case, this stands for a creative accounts manager. And I tell you, these are folks, they must have a lot of fun with their jobs because what they do is they help yearbook staffs anywhere to come up with new ideas, creative ideas, new traditions, new ways to tell stories, different ways to tell stories, whether it's between the pages of a yearbook and in some other ways as well. Things like good design, photography, writing, all the aspects. Now we at Johnson's are fortunate. We have several people uh, across the country who have this title of being a Johnson's cam. And today we're gonna talk with our friend Elizabeth Walsh. Liz is a cam from Nevada, a former award-winning yearbook advisor for decades. And then just a couple of years ago, she decided to kind of take Jostens on on an offer, and she became a Jostens cam. And now her full-time job, helping yearbook staffs everywhere and anywhere to make a better yearbook and effort and experience. So if you're a new advisor, second year, third year, or even if you're a veteran advisor, or if you're a yearbook staffer, get ready to meet somebody who's got so many ideas, it's amazing. I mean, Liz outdoes me by 10. She's fantastic. And later on, we're going to have some ideas. So if you don't already have a notepad and a pen or something, get ready. Grab something, and because uh, you're going to be doing some note-taking later on. But first, let's meet Liz. Well, Liz, first off, I appreciate you taking time, and welcome to the Yearbooking Report. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. Now, for folks listening, we have a lot of things we're going to cover in this interview. Uh, first of all, Liz is filled with ideas, and of course, we love sharing ideas. So stay tuned. We're going to have those a little bit later on. Um, and we're going to talk about folks called CAMs, and if you're a Jostens person, you may or may not have heard of them. We're going to inform you and uh, you know talk about that. But first, Liz, let's get some background on yourself. Uh, I know you've been doing this a while, although you did have a job change. Mm -hmm. So tell us about yourself, uh, your time in education, what you taught, and then what you've been doing recently. Okay. Um, I taught for 26 and a half years, and I began in private Catholic education in Las Vegas at Bishop Gorman High School. I then opened a brand new high school in Las Vegas and worked there for four years before moving up to Reno. I stayed in Reno for 17 years and then moved back to Las Vegas in 2017 for my final year in the classroom. And each of those years I advised either yearbook, newspaper, online journalism, or some combination thereof. And uh, 
I was fortunate enough in 2018 to be able to apply for and obtain this position. So now, as a creative accounts manager, I get to work with schools all over the country and help them achieve the yearbooks of their dreams. Whatever it is that they want to do, we're going to help them do that. And you do a great job, by the way. Um, side question, just for fun. Now, I have been to Las Vegas for, uh, you know, like work meetings and stuff like that. I've uh, never lived there. I'm going to guess most people, they probably have seen Las Vegas on television. You know, the Strip, all those casinos, which, of course, that makes up the whole town, right? <laughs> and I know that they have that, I guess, in Reno, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but what are Reno and Vegas really like? If all you have to go by is television, it's all the glitzy, ritzy, you know, is that the whole town? What, what's it like? No, <laughs> it's not the whole town at all. Really, it's a it's a normal city. Um, Las Vegas at one point had more churches per capita than any other city. Really? Oh, heck yes. <laughs> Wedding chapels or churches? Churches, actual oh, churches. Okay. Um, it's a it's a great community and full of really interesting people. It's becoming more and more metropolitan every year. Um, but basically Las Vegas is a big bowl. So the city started at the strip in the center and then grew out from there, all the way out to the mountains that um, encircle us. And now it's starting to go back up from the inside. So uh, I actually live like way up in the Northwest part of town. And uh, it's just a wonderful place. I mean, we walk dogs, we go grocery shopping. There is a caveat. We do have actual like uh, slot machines in the grocery stores. <laughs> whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Slot <laughs> machines in the grocery store. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can buy your groceries and then you can stop and you know throw 20 bucks in a machine and see if you win. Um, most of our um, taverns have gaming machines in them as well. And even some of our 7-Elevens and like car washes will have gaming licenses as well. Wait a minute, a, a car wash? Yeah. How do you gamble in a car wash? Well, I mean, you don't, you, it's the kind you get out of the car and okay. you go and wait for your car to be washed. Oh. Yeah, so while you're waiting, they have little gaming lounges. Okay, that's weird. I know. At a car wash. <laughs> All right. It's Vegas, baby. All right. Yeah, what a state, what, what's, the, what's the line? Oh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except for really great yearbook work. That goes everywhere because it's really cool stuff. There you go. All right. I've been there in January, and it was a little cool. Mm -hmm. I've been there in July and couldn't catch my breath. How hot does it get there? Um, well, 117 is the hottest on record, and that was the year that I was a lifeguard. So it was very hot that day. Busy at the pool. Quite. I'm assuming. Okay. <laughs> now, you were a teacher mm -hmm. for, what was it, 26 years, I think you said, yep. right? Okay. Mm -hmm. And you did a number of things. You mentioned yearbook. You also did, I think, newspaper and, I guess, broadcasts and, and some other stuff. And then you decided to go to Jostens. Now, I'm just curious, because I know a lot of advisors are listening here. Uh, what's the difference between, say, like teaching in a classroom and what you're doing now? Because, I mean, that was your book. This is your book. Mm -hmm. It would seem to be, it must be exactly the same or not. <laughs> what I get to do is so much fun because instead of working with just one group of students, whether that be four students, 30 students, 70 students, now I actually get to work with students all over the country. 
and I'm very fortunate that I get to work from the west coast all the way over to the east coast, from the north all the way down to the south. So um, I have a lot of opportunities to meet a lot of different schools and a lot of different people who are very interesting. Uh, it's different because I don't have grading to do, which is wonderful, although I do have a lot of access to quite a few different ideas for grading, so that makes me a great resource for advisors as well because we have had the opportunity to work with a lot of people, seeing what their best practices are, and we gather those and then share those with our schools. All right, now let's follow on that because you're what we call a CAM, mm -hmm. Creative Accounts Manager, and I know we have several of these folks various parts of the country. You do a lot of traveling, sounds like you, you do a lot of workshops, I mean, what do you do? Um, I do, I, I do a lot of traveling and I have workshops that um, I will do. Sometimes we do spring premieres, which are one day sort of energizing events that get everybody ready for the coming school year and the coming school year's book. Um, a lot of brainstorming goes on at those things and a, a little bit of leadership and fine tuning and uh, inspiration, which is really fun. We have our summertime workshops, which tend to be multi-day workshops and pretty intense. And then our fall workshops as well, which are a great jump start to the year, especially for less experienced staffs. So they can come and, and learn a little bit more about what they're doing in a single day rather than having that spread out over a couple of weeks at one hour of instruction each day. Um, so each of those experiences are, are wonderful for both me as the uh, keynote speaker and also for the students because they get quite a bit out of those experiences. Um, but we also will do in-school visits. I've done individual um, school workshops. I've done small school workshops. Where we'll have a bunch of different small groups from each school come and work. So it really is kind of making sure that each of our schools gets the attention that they want and they need so that they are able to do what they want to do with their programs and with their books each year. All right, now I'm gonna guess we have an advisor listening who's probably from a small school, not a lot of money, you know, like a big city school, lots of money. They're probably thinking, well, Liz probably only works at big, rich schools. Oh, gosh, no. No, I work with all different kinds of schools, and it's actually really fun. Um, and I don't even have to physically be there, which is really cool. You have to love the digital age because now I can either use a shared session in Monarch and we can both be on the same page at the same time, um, talking back and forth and sharing ideas. We can use Skype, um, which I've done with a couple of my schools and it's actually been rather fun. Um, we can email ideas back and forth and um, sometimes small schools will just pick up the phone and say, if you have a couple of minutes during this time, you know, this would be great and we'll actually just have a conversation. Um, so whether it is a staff management question or concern or something having to do with the actual design of the book, we can work virtually too, which makes that just a, a wonderful resource for all of our schools, no matter what they, you know, what they are able to do financially. All right, so advisors, if you have an interest, uh, again, I'm a representative in my day job and we're contacting, oh, you and me. Oh, yes. Um, so, you know, contact your Jocelyn's representative. You're thinking, hey, Liz sounds pretty cool. I'd like to get some fresh ideas. Your rep can, you know, make the connection and, and help mm -hmm. with that sort of thing. All right, now here's a question. Because um, you've been doing this a while. I won't give a number. You do the math. Um, how have yearbooks changed over the years? Now, I'm not talking technology. That's an obvious one computers and digital and phones and so on. I'm talking more about the books themselves and like what's in a book 
If I look at old books, they don't exactly look like a lot of books today. So how have your books changed over your tenure uh, in your booking? Well, my tenure is just over a quarter of a century. And during that time, we've seen a, a shift in coverage, most of all. So we started um, back in the 90s with five to seven photos on a spread, which meant you were basically only getting about three and a half photos each page. That's hardly any at all. Now we're seeing a huge jump to 20 to 30 photos on a spread, which allows us much more inclusion. Uh, back then we would have a very large story space and then each photo had its own caption and that was pretty much it. Now we see a lot of different what we call sidebar or modular coverage um, that's working its way into the designs. So we have a lot of different opportunities to cover students and to cover the story from all different angles. So uh, that's been a, a big change. One other thing that we've seen change, and I'm really glad about this, is that we tell way more stories about people and their individual experiences. And it's not so much about a homecoming topic, it's about all of the different aspects of homecoming. So it would be everything from the, the original idea, this is going to be our theme for homecoming, and following that idea all the way through. We've got a lot better reporting from our students this um, you know, now that we see this type of journalism. And even if you don't think of yourself as a journalist and you think of yourself as a storyteller, that might be even more important. So we're seeing staffs evolve from sitting in the classroom, taking pictures that they just took you know, during a specific class period and putting that all together and then sending that into the plant. Now we're seeing them actually interact with their student body and sometimes even create opportunities, which I love. When they create opportunities for them to hone their skills and hone their craft as storytellers, whether it be visual or verbal, so whether they are designing and taking photographs or whether they are interviewing and writing and editing, we're seeing all different kinds of stories being told and that's pretty wonderful. We'll get back to more with Jostin's Creative Accounts Manager, Elizabeth Walsh, in just a bit. And get ready for that note-taking. Here it comes. Liz is full of ideas, and she shares some of them with us starting in just a moment. Now, if you're listening to the podcast here in March, you're out. Sorry. If you're listening still in February, the deadline for the Jostin's Photo Contest is just on the doorstep. It's March 1st. And if you've put this off, you just haven't entered, now's the time, but really fast. All right, the website, jostensphotocontest.com or jostens.com slash photocontest. Again, all the rules are there. The different categories are there. Don't forget, there's a separate category just for middle school students so they can take part. Make sure you download some of the information there, especially the permissions form. If you have a really cool picture involving a person, you're supposed to get that person's permission before you use the image for a contest. So make sure that you do that, otherwise you're going to get tossed aside. Every year I think we have different judges for this particular event, and they're going to be very busy in the months of March and April. And I would expect that once again we're going to be naming our winners somewhere around the start of May. But I believe this year we may have a record number of entries, so that may take the judges oh, a little longer, I suppose. If you're a photo contest winner, 
First off, there are prizes for the winners. You also get your uh, images shown off in the annual Jostens Lookbook. Now, this would be for next year's lookbook. And so if you have just one or a number of images that you think, yeah, these are really cool, they tell a story, or they're just really neat photos that you happen to catch, why not enter? JostensPhotoContest.com or Jostens.com slash photocontest. Again, March 1 is the deadline. March 2 will not cut it. So make sure you get your entries in. Now let's get some great ideas, not just about your books, but your book efforts. You know, making your uh, staff better, making your effort better. As we return to our comments with Jostens' Cam Liz Walsh. Now, in my case, I'm sort of a journalism nerd. I've been in doing that since I was a well senior, well before a senior in high school, actually, all through college. Afterwards, I've been involved in journalism. My people that I work with hear me use the term storytelling all the time. Good. Some do it, some don't. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know, just an observation, maybe most schools, this might be harsh, don't. You know, storytelling doesn't really come into the mix. And I think the the thought is, Liz, that, boy, that really sounds hard. What would you say in response to that as, as a professional? I think it's actually easier because we have so many more opportunities to find stories now. Our social media connections have given us a lot more opportunities to find out what people are doing even if we aren't right there when they're doing it. For example, I saw a staff, um, while they were working on deadline, they were putting together their last pages in the spring, and a softball player posted to, I, I couldn't tell you whether it was Instagram or Snapchat, but posted a picture of the giant softball size welt she had on her forehead. And the students immediately were like, oh, that's a story, we should be able to tell that, that's really cool. And they knew that social media might not be around, but the yearbook certainly would be because yearbooks open year after year, pretty darn cool. So they actually contacted the student, asked her for the photo, asked her to tell them the story, and then put that in the yearbook right there on deadline during those last couple of days of work. And that is a story that was then preserved forever for that young lady and her teammates. So that was pretty cool. All right, note to softball players, uh, softball to the head is cool. <laughs> That's what you, like, softball players are like, was cool. Uh, no, <laughs> no, that really hurt. <laughs> so an analogy I've used for years, now I've been at this over two decades, your booking, mm-hmm. okay, is when I go back to when I started in the late 90s, the hard part of this job was making the book because back then, no internet, I mean, there was internet, but not for your book. Uh, computers were rudimentary. We didn't have iPhones or Android phones. We had film. Yeah, look that one up, some folks. Film for taking <laughs> pictures. Making the book was very labor intensive. There was a lot of work. Now, today, my opinion, it's easy to make a book. So my question to you is, from your experience in traveling, what's the hardest part of your booking now, would you say? What's the hardest part of this job? Making the book is simple anymore. What's the hardest part? The technical part has become much more simple. We're no longer stickering individual photographs or having to you know, go get the big cropper to crop the big photograph that we had to have sized really, really big because that was the only way we could print it. Um, so it is much easier to create the physical book itself using all that digital technology. Um, it's a little bit harder, I think, for students to get used to the idea that they are going to have to talk to a whole lot of people because we tend to want to do 
the thing that is easiest. And sometimes going out and talking to strangers is difficult, but the reward that we get having engaged with those students is sometimes lifelong friendships, sometimes really positive attention. I saw one young lady who wanted to interview the boys basketball team, the, the varsity team. She was a freshman. She didn't have a whole lot of connections with that team, but she decided that she was going to bake them chocolate chip cookies and tell them if they came to her interview time that she would give them chocolate chip cookies. For the whole rest of the year, she was chocolate chip cookie girl and they all would shout at her across the hallways. So she learned that really for very little effort on her part, she made a batch of chocolate chip cookies, she was able to integrate herself into the school more and make more, not necessarily friends, but acquaintances and make herself a bigger part of her own high school experience. So one of the things that is at first daunting to some students going out and talking to people and creating that yearbook experience for them actually so much more richly um, gives back to them in their own high school experience. Well, one note here for talking to us, I'm giving Liz a pie, um, <laughs> which is terrible because I'm an awful cook. So Liz, trust me, you don't want my pie. Um, but actually a follow-up there. Um, when we're talking to kids about storytelling, yeah, they kind of they kind of, I'm making motions with my body and we're kind of get shy and, oh, I don't know if I can do that. How do we get kids out of their shell to want to go out and gather all those stories? What are some thoughts? I've seen a lot of students pair up. So an experienced student will take a new yearbook student with them. And instead of go, go get the, the interview, it's come with me, let's go talk to some people. And if they look at it from the point of view of just I have a couple questions to ask you or you know, can we talk to you for a moment? That's a lot less intimidating than I need a quote for yearbook. So simply by doing the better storytelling approach, doing the better I just want to sit and talk with you approach, we see a lot better quality work. And having older students who have done this before mentor the younger students tends to result in everybody doing a better job. Um, they say to teach is to learn twice. So that type of senior staffing men mentorship of the younger staffers works really nicely. And not everybody is going to have a yearbook staff that is seniors, junior, sophomore, freshman, or eighth grade, seventh grade, sixth grade, or whatever. Um, but when you do have those opportunities, it is a really nice thing to have the students who have had experience share their experience with their younger or less experienced counterparts. I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I tell people don't go solo. Grab a friend, maybe a th three people. If you're yeah. telling stories, taking pictures, you're out selling ads in town or something, uh, it seems like if, if kids go out solo, mm, it doesn't usually happen. But if they take a buddy or a f girlfriend or something, then it starts to happen. So I'm really glad you mentioned that one. Yeah. Um, let's get on to ideas, because I know that's what people really love, especially advisors. So, And you've got a million ideas. <laughs> I've shared a pile of them with the people that I work with. Let's just hit a few. What are some very simple ideas? And again, we're doing this here kind of late winter into the spring. So if we're thinking about the remainder of this school year, perhaps, um, you know, into May, June, whatever that is. What are some thoughts of things that, that, that would be easy for any yearbook staff to, to try to do to improve their effort? 
I'm going to start with recruiting. Most schools now have students looking at their schedules for next year already. So basically they come back to school, they start their second semester of whatever year they're in, and they're already picking classes for the following year. And by recruiting early and then recruiting often, basically all the time, looking for people who maybe need a, a niche in school, they don't have other activities, um, maybe they take really great photos on Instagram and you want them to be a photographer on staff. Whatever it might be, that recruitment process of just going out and asking them, have you thought about joining yearbook, can be really powerful. First of all, it's nice when somebody asks you to join their group. Secondly, it gives you a little bit more visibility as a staff. So that allows the school to remember, oh yeah, yearbook's there and they care about me and heck, they want me. That's pretty darn cool. Um, so that's a big deal. Let me stop you there a second. Um, when it comes to recruiting, sometimes I get the feeling from some advisors that it needs to be a special kind of kid <laughs> in order, okay, you're laughing, to, to be on the yearbook staff. And I'm not even sure exactly what that means. They're extremely selective. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're talking about recruiting, I mean, who? Who, who should we be going after? I'm, I'm really a fan of casting a wide net because everybody can do something. So I've seen staffs that have lots of different kinds of students on their staff, and they tend to find different ways of interacting, and I really love that. So one student might be a great photographer, but doesn't necessarily interact from behind the lens. So putting another student who's incredibly talkative, but really just doesn't want to hold still that much so they don't get great focused shots, pair the two of those students together and now you have an interviewer and a photographer going out together. Those types of things, when you think about how can we best use everybody's talents and interests and skills, that's going to get you a great yearbook staff, no matter what. I mean, even students who aren't necessarily really good at school still have a whole lot of talent that they bring to this game. So don't ever be afraid of accepting students onto the staff that may not be the very best and the very brightest and the very top 10 of the class. Sometimes those students are already overworked. So finding students who have the ability to look at things from a different angle or are really interested in maybe being a little bit more creative and a little bit less sit and get school type students, you gotta look for them all because your whole school is full of all different types of students. So we want a broad variety of students on our staff so that we can actually start with a broader variety of students that we're interviewing. All right, now one more follow-up there. There are some advisors who prefer sort of, what would I call it, the specialist idea this kid's a photographer, this kid's a writer, this kid works on the computer, and so on. Mm -hmm. And there are other advisors, they prefer their kids do everything. I want you to do some writing, I want you to take pictures, I want you to work on the computer, I want you to go sell ads, and so on. Uh, maybe they think that's more educational, I don't know. Is there a preference? Does, does one work better than the other? I think every staff finds its own way of working. And that means that every advisor starts to realize the strengths of the staff. And sometimes they get a brand new staff. I've seen some schools get a brand new staff every semester. So the generalist attitude of learn everything is really pretty a good idea for those students because then they have the opportunity to figure out what they like to do well. I've seen other staffs that specifically recruit photographers and so you submit a photo portfolio you do a photo challenge and then they select their photography staff from that 
sometimes students become great photographers without ever having done anything but take photos on their phone before. So I would hate to cut out an educational opportunity simply because this is the way we've always done it. I'm not a huge fan of we've always done it this way so we need to keep doing it this way. That's not a good enough reason. Instead, find out what's best for kids because if we're doing what's best for kids, then we're doing what's best. All right, how about some other ideas? Let's go in some different directions. <laughs> um, well, students do love photography practice. Whether they're good photographers or not, they love photography practice. So I would encourage staffs to actually come up with some fun and interesting ways of going out and engaging the school community in their photography practice. So that might be, it's winter, maybe you can do a hot chocolate competition. Make some hot chocolate, pile the whipped cream on, see how many marshmallows you can pile on, take pictures of it from different angles. The students who are not on staff are enjoying the hot chocolate and this whole you know, challenge that you've gotten them engaged in and you're taking photos of it. Heck, it could even be a fundraiser. That might be something that you sell hot chocolate and then you have this other opportunity. Maybe students are donating money to a cause and you're doing a little bit of service work within your community. There are so many different things you can do just to have some fun and engage your student body. It's not just about sitting in the yearbook room and reporting on what happened as much as it is about going out and being an active member of your whole entire school community. And then it's way more fun to report on what happened because you were there and sometimes you were actually participating while it was coming together. We'll get back to our final segment with Johnson's Creative Accounts Manager, Elizabeth Walsh, in just a moment. Even more great ideas, including the overall importance of your yearbook to your entire school. Something that I found in my experience, a lot of yearbook advisors just, they don't even think about it. But it's true, your yearbook could be a true game changer, culture and climate and so on, for your entire school. And Liz is going to talk about that and more coming up in our final segment here in just a moment. Now, if you can, and you might think, boy, this is way too early, look ahead to next year, your 2021 effort. I found in my two decades plus of experience with Jostens that those yearbook advisors and staffs that are able to get an early jump on things, it could be April, May, June, sometime over the summer before school starts. Those staffs that are able to get an early jump on their planning, maybe get their custom cover designed early, get their staff organized before school starts and so on, those staffs invariably uh, do a better book every year, have a lot more fun, a lot less stress than some of their counterparts. So this is actually about the right time to start thinking about next year. Now, for advisors out there, if you haven't already, contact your Johnston's representative. Ask them about upcoming spring and summer workshops. Now, spring workshops, when school, of course, is still in, are usually a day. A one-day event could be at a, at a host school or a hotel or something like that. But it's at least a day to sit down with an artist, make a cool cover, work on your theme, do some basic stuff in, prefer in uh, preparation for the new year. Summertime could be one day, but a lot of summer camps, and we've got some good ones out there across the country, are multi-day. Might be two days, three days, four days, and so on, where you don't necessarily bring your whole staff. 
You probably bring your editors, you know, your best kids, your movers and shakers, the ones that are really passionate about your booking. You bring them to this event. might just be a handful of people, but in that span of time, you do a lot of great planning and brainstorming and uh, that sort of thing so that when the new school year does begin, you've got your cover, you've got your plan, you've got your theme, everybody pretty much knows their responsibilities, and you literally hit the ground running on day one of the new year. For those stabs that kind of wait till September, or God forbid, even later, almost invariably there are struggles because it's kind of scrambling around and rushing around to get things done and so on. If you can do some early planning, spring and summer, that is a very good thing. So, Again, if you haven't already, contact your Johnson's representative. Ask them about nearby possibilities for workshops in the spring or summer. And if you're a non-Johnson school, you work with somebody else, yeah, those other guys, they have that sort of stuff too. But you know what? There's nothing stopping you from attending a Johnson's event. Why not see how the other half lives, to use the old line? You would be more than welcome. So contact, again, your Jossens representative. Ask them, hey, you doing any kind of training events? Because a very simple rule here, a better trained staff makes a better yearbook and has a lot more fun and has a better experience. So why not consider that? Give that a look over as soon as you can. Right now, let's get back to our final segment, Lots More Great Ideas, with Jostens Cam Liz Walsh. If I, in my years of experience, all I have to do is mention the word writing, and I'll get a lot of kids with that look of gloom on their face, or they'll just look down at their desk thinking, he's not looking at me, he's not looking at me. I, I don't, I, and I love to write, so I'm, I'm always quizzical at why some kids are either just petrified of writing, or they just think, I can't do this. How do we get kids to want to write in the yearbook? I think students have been sometimes told that they're not doing it correctly. That sometimes their experience with writing is a whole lot of grammar or very specific structure. So the minute that I say prepositional phrase or gerund, they're done. But if I say to the store or I like skiing, versus skiing is fun for me, um, versus skiing down the hill, and let's take that word and play with it. If they look at it as play, it's a little bit more fun. Plus, really, yearbook writing isn't necessarily writing as much as it is letting other people do the storytelling for you. One of the things that we see in really top quality yearbooks is a lot of storytelling done by the people who were there and are actually telling you the story. It's not my job as a writer to say all of the things that happened and to fill you in on how everybody felt. It's my job to ask a question and then allow them to tell me what happened and how they felt about it leaving only about 20% of the work for me to just connect the dots, one thing to the next, to gather a few facts, to do a little bit of research, and maybe some statistics. And the rest of it, other people did the work for me. All I have to do is type it in. They already said it. I was gonna say, we're talking, sounds like quotes. You're talking about quotes from yes, people. Yes, but if we go at it from that quote angle, that becomes difficult too, because if I come up to you and say, hey Scott, I need a quote about the dance. 
say something. Yeah. <laughs> the crickets is say the, something. Yeah. The crickets is the really big problem because people get really kind of jolted by that. But if I come up to you and say, hey, let me talk to you about the dance. Did you go to the dance? You know, tell me a little bit about what your favorite part was. Did you like that part when the DJ kicked out the speakers and all of a sudden we didn't have any music? Or, you know, what was your favorite part of it? And just sort of have a conversation with them. Interviewing sounds very formal. Getting a quote sounds very terrifying. But just talking to somebody, that's way less intimidating. So a lot of things that really good staffers do, they do simply because they've changed the way they think about what they're doing. My favorite question is still, tell me more about that. That's a simple question. I don't care if it's the shyest person in school. You open with that, or you put, you throw that question in there, and they're going to start to talk. Mm -hmm. That sound about right? They're yes. going to start to talk. Yes. Okay. Now, I think you touched on this just a little bit a, a couple of minutes ago. And, you know, we're making this book. And I think a lot of folks think, okay, that's all we're doing. We're making pages in a book. Mm -hmm. Your experience, both as a teacher and now as a CAM with Jostens, the power of the yearbook may be in some ways to transform a school, to really cover stories and connect people. I mean, am I crazy? What, what can a yearbook staff do to really open this up and really improve the life of an entire school, or is that crazy? It's not at all crazy. Um, one of the greatest things about being on yearbook staff is that you are the guardians of the history of the school. So if nothing is happening in your school, you don't have anything to put on the page. So you might as well just get up and go make something happen. <laughs> and that's really fun. So we, we talked about it briefly before, the, the engaging of the school community can become a very powerful tool for actually changing the school culture. Um, it's, it's, a lot of schools will have traditions, they're very steeped in traditions, and they've been here for 75 years, 100 years, more than 100 years. And their yearbooks now, they may think, are very traditional. But if they went back and looked at the 1917 yearbook, they would see that maybe it was a few pieces of paper bound together by string because they were trying to cut costs because they were trying to be responsible. And they were trying to be responsible because there was a war on and they basically just wanted to do their very best that they could without using a whole lot of additional funds. So what students tend to think of as tradition is usually only about four years old because students are usually in school for only about four years. So don't be afraid to buck some of those traditions and go out and make something new happen because when you make something new happen, you're actually helping to change the culture of your whole school. That's fun. It seems like there are a lot, am I wrong? There are a lot of kids in schools today, I, I, definitely where I live, I'm thinking coast to coast, that just feel disconnected. Uh, sometimes I refer to them as ghosts. They get off the bus at like 8 in the morning, they kind of float through their classes, they get back on the bus at 3 o'clock, they go home and that's it. Mm -hmm. Would you, does that sound familiar like in Nevada or places? We see that, that there, about 30% of the student body is doing about 90% of the participation. And a lot of that happens because students, even though they are more digitally connected to the world, are less actually connected to the world. Part of being on yearbook makes them real. If you're on your book and you go talk to them about something, 
You've made them acknowledged and real and human. You've created a connection with them. And that is some pretty powerful stuff because you never know what kind of day somebody's having. You haven't walked in their shoes and you don't know what's going on. And maybe the opportunity that you take to go and talk with somebody about some just random yearbook question gives them the opportunity to form a bond with another human being and maybe they really needed that that day. Well, okay, 30% means 90%. That means 70% of a student body doesn't do a whole lot or doesn't get acknowledged or... Sometimes that happens. And that's, well, I'll use the word tragic. That's it is. tragic. It is. But a I yearbook mean, staff has the power to change that. Yes. Do something about that. Absolutely. Okay. And that's uh, one of the things that I love about our National Program of Excellence. The requirement that in order to achieve National Program of Excellence in all three tiers is three times coverage of 50% or more of the student body. That's a big deal. If your goal is to go out and cover everybody in the school multiple times, not just have their school picture in the yearbook, that's easy. Somebody else takes those pictures and you just flow them into the pages and it's one, two, three, done. But to actually go out and make sure that everybody feels included, everybody's important, everybody has a story. If the yearbook staff does that, it changes everything. All right, one more question because we're about out of time here, but this is a popular question I like to ask veteran folks, and I usually save it for the end. I'm going to assume that we probably have some rookie advisors, second year, third year. Maybe they're out there struggling. Maybe they're not sure what to do. Maybe they're thinking, ah, I really want to change things and improve things and so on. If you had a chance to sit down with those advisors, rookie, second year, what's some advice that we, you would give them to, I don't know, keep their sanity or at least keep them going? I would have to say, don't eat the buffalo all in one bite. Um, the buffalo? The buffalo. I use elephant. Elephant, but, okay. buffalo, oh. the large animal. All right. Um, if you try to do everything all at once, it's just too much. If we think about how we could change one thing, for example, if you take on a yearbook that does not have identifications along with the photos and you just think it's important to identify everybody who's in the school because we never know who's who and what's what if we don't have that, then do that, do that one thing. Then that's done for the next year. So now let's look at our photos. Maybe you want more candid photos and fewer smiling for the camera photos. So you take on that challenge. And it doesn't mean that you're going to, in one year, completely eliminate all smiling for the camera photos. That's a difficult transition for a lot of students. They really struggle with that um, because they're used to smiling when they see a camera. So it's a, a retraining of the expectations of both the students in the school and the staff itself. But you do that, and you do that for a year, and you do that well. Now you've done two things well, and you've had two years under your belt. You've got a little bit more experience, and you know a little bit more about the school culture, too. So then in year three, you take on the next thing. Maybe the next thing is full four-part captions for dominant photos. And you're going to practice writing those captions. And really, those full four-part captions come from practice. So you practice starting with an ING word, and then you practice starting with anything but an ING word, and you practice starting with no, not first names and last names. You, you try to find any word that's not a first name or a last name. You try to find any word that's not a, an, or the. And you practice playing with the language until you have those captions down. Well now, in three years, you have created something that is really so much more historical.
because now we've got action shots of students actually doing what they really do all the time. And we have storytelling captions that tell us a lot more about what was going on before and after that shutter clicked. And you have everybody identified. Whether they're in a big picture or a little picture, we know everybody's names. Those three things in three years have changed the culture of the yearbook and changed the culture of the school. You've increased recognition tremendously. While you were talking there, I was just thinking, you know, people change, things happen. I, now, maybe I just can't remember. I can't think of any famous, quote, famous people that I went to school with once upon a time. You, you have any famous people? Or? I went to school with Jimmy Kimmel. He really? Sat, yeah, he sat behind me in marching band. Um, he really? played the saxophone and I played wow. the flute. So, okay. Yep. And his band leader, Cleto Escobedo, is a year older than I am, but was in band with us too. So. All from the same school? Oh, yes. And um, Louis Prima Jr., Louis Prima was the, um, the voice of the orangutan in the original Jungle Book. So I, wow. it was Las Vegas. I went to high school in Las Vegas. Wow. So, yeah, so I, I know some pretty famous people, which is kind of cool. But when I was in school with them, they were just the guys in the band. You know, they were just guys. And I think we missed out on a lot of storytelling opportunities. Jimmy Kimmel often said, when I grow up, I want to be the next David Letterman. He said that. But it wasn't in the yearbook. Oh. That's a shame. I mean, a storytelling opportunity really missed. And I see some of those clips sometimes, like on a website or a television show. Here's what so-and-so looked like in their high school yearbook. So you have Jimmy Kimmel's picture and those other fellows <laughs> yep. in your book. Yeah. Folks, you have no idea. Never. Who knows? Yeah. Liz, this was a lot of fun. And you had some great ideas there that I think that any yearbook staff could use. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. A big thank you again to our friend Liz Walsh. All oh, that just fantastic ideas. And folks, she was scratching the surface here. Liz has a ton of these ideas. So if you're a Jostin school, contact your Jostin's representative and say, you know, hey, how can I get in touch with Liz or her compatriots? That would be Tina Cleveland, uh, Jeff Moffat, uh, Rick Brooks, my friend Rick, who primarily does work with colleges and universities. And we also have several people that serve as Jostin's ambassadors. They pretty much travel around the country talking and speaking and presenting at various workshops. So ask your representative, you know, hey, who are you connected with? And can we start getting some stuff? Because like Liz said, it's not necessarily a visit to your school. It could be long distance, could be Skype, could be email, could be a phone call, a lot of different ways. But if you're looking for some fresh ideas and some new insights and some energy, we've got the folks to help you, our Jostin's CAMs and our Jostin's Ambassadors. Folks, hope you got a lot out of this, and thank you again for listening to the Yearbooking Report podcast.